51% of the vote for Tennessee baseball being the healthiest program at the school right now. And I don't really have any complaint there. It does feel like it's in the best place consistently. Botello's outlook, the way he has proven that he can recruit and develop and kind of piece things together in the transfer portal. Now you could say the SEC is going to be really competitive in baseball and it's going to be tough there. But like, I think every year that Tony Vitello is here, you should be ranked in the top 15 preseason. Maybe even the top 10. But I'm saying 15 at the floor. Although, quite frankly, can you say the same thing about the other two programs? Should, should Josh Heupel be a top 15 team at Tennessee in the preseason every year? I know this year, like the early, way too early top 25 had Tennessee. I think it's 17th. But I think by the time the actual poll gets released and you look at Tennessee's upgrades at left tackle and the, the Nico hype train has rolled on for a little bit longer and you kind of just get there and look at the attritions and, and the rosters, I think Tennessee's going to be somewhere like 12th or 13th. Can you say the same thing about Rick Barnes and his basketball program, that they should be preseason top 15 every year? I think that would be fair, actually. I think that's a fair assumption. Um, so all three programs kind of fit that mold. I think all three programs kind of hit that. And I know football is a little bit more competitive with the big boys. And, you know, some of these Southern schools just do football. Georgia, I'm talking to you. <laughs> but, yeah, Tennessee, a top 15 preseason program. That, that's kind of year in, year out where I think all three programs – should be, and I think that's kind of where they will be, which is crazy. We had some changes in college football get announced or get close to getting approved. Apparently, college football close to adopting, I guess, the NFL model and even high school model of allowing communication and headsets. Because I saw some people saying this was allowed in high school. I, I don't know if that's the case everywhere, if all schools can afford this communication or what, but... The sign-stealing scandal at Michigan maybe forced the hand of the NCAA to be like, hey, we'll allow coaches to communicate in the helmets of their quarterback and I guess probably usually their linebacker, the guy calling their defense on the other side of the ball. Bob, your thoughts on this? I'd say let's get to it. I, uh, I'm so exhausted with everything that went on this past season with, you know, the whole madness around Connor Stallions and sign stealing, et cetera. This would be one way to at least blunt that, um, maybe eliminate it uh, entirely. But, yeah, I, in this day and age, there's such a rush towards technology for all things. Why wouldn't we do it in this, in this case? They had a trial run and select bowl games during bowl season. That was deemed a success. Do either one of you know which bowl games they used it in? Uh, I know the Music City Bowl used it. Okay. Yeah. But they were just playing country music in their helmet. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually torture. Here, here's nothing but Jason Aldean and Dirks Bentley. Good luck. That's a stray for Dirks Bentley. I don't know if he's even still active, but the ACC has gone ahead and approved this. They're waiting on the NCAA green light. Once the first conference does it, I would imagine every conference follows suit. One-way communication, of course, is just a coach giving instructions to quarterbacks, not an open line where quarterbacks can ask questions, of course. Do you think this impacts Tennessee at all, Sam, in the sense of 
Tennessee's offense goes really fast and the, you know, I don't know exactly how they do that in terms of just multiple play calls and how fast the signs are or simple plays. I, I don't know what makes Tennessee special, you know, when you look at the actual intricacies of the fast-paced offense. But do you think the helmet communication evens the playing field and helps other teams go faster? Do you think it allows Tennessee to maybe even take the speed up even more? Do you think it allows makes them slow down a little bit so they're clearly communicating and maybe being a little bit more complex in their calls? Do you think it has any impact at all? Uh, I'm not – if you could do a mix of both, I'm not sure the rules on this yet. You know, obviously it hasn't been approved. I think if you could do a mix of both, I think Tennessee would. I think it obviously – When you say a mix of both, what do you mean? Like I think, uh, I think to me – like each uh, position in our offense kind of has signals that they're looking for with coaches on the sideline. I sure. think to me that that's advantageous for like a wide receiver, just being able to glance at a sideline and look at a, a coach kind of throwing something up real quick instead of having to, you know, maybe if it's only being said in a, in the huddle kind of in the quarterback's year, I think that maybe you could see some receivers, maybe mix some signs up or something like that. So I think if you kept it with a quarterback, it obviously helps them in terms of their processing quick, but I think maybe if you you kept some signs for like some receivers and stuff like that, I wouldn't be surprised to see that. Oh yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think maybe the maybe the only thing communicating in Tennessee's headset should be like quarterback, hey, yeah, on this play, look for this. Exactly. Yeah. Which then makes me wonder how this impacts young quarterbacks. Would this maybe have gotten Tennessee to take the training wheels off Nico last year? Would it have helped Joe Milton, maybe, to have a quarterback in his headset? I don't know. Quarter, it should help quarterback play overall, though, right? Like, and, and offenses are already really good and kind of ahead of defenses in college athletics already. But to me, this should be a tool that offenses can use to up their efficiency. Now, on defense, it's going to help a little bit, too. And, and maybe it helps those guys get their calls in and the linebackers can communicate with their defense quicker and and their signals can get get it brought into them so they can kind of match up with these high-paced offenses. Maybe on the other side, it actually helps the defense more than it helps the offense. Do you think that's fair, Bob, that maybe the defense benefits more from their, their linebacker immediately having their calls and their coverage versus, like, how quickly the offense can get up to the to the field? Because I feel like offenses have already kind of mastered that a little bit in terms of the, the pace. Maybe this helps the defenses. That's an interesting thought. I mean, that's one way to balance the – kind of the rationale to do this, um, that it can benefit both sides of the ball. I think it's, to me, my first inclination was it, it benefits the offense more. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're looking at an argument for how a defense can, can benefit from this <laughs> rather than stealing signs, um, I, I, think there, I think there's some value there. Yeah, I don't know like how complex the defensive signals are, right? I imagine those are pretty simple because you're not actually worried about formation and, and routes. I would imagine most of the time it's going to be, hey, here's our base zone coverage. Here's our zone blitz. Here's our man-to-man -man type of thing. Here's our man-to-man -man blitz. I mean, and, and you'll have you know some variations of that, of course, but. But there could be some real time things that happen when they're seeing, you know, even as they as the offense comes to the line and now they're set, you know, now you have a chance to be able to maybe communicate, you know, right there and say like, I'm seeing this and this, you know, move accordingly. I'm not a defensive coordinator, but I, I'd like to believe there's some again, there's some trade offs that could could benefit a defense. Of course, this hasn't been approved, Sam. I don't know if you've checked into the ACC's rule. I know in the NFL, the communication goes off. I think at the 22nd mark of the play clock. Oh, like, does it? Yeah, like you don't get to go right up to the snap. So, like, 
that's whenever you'll see adjustments start being made, right? So it's not like the coaches can be up there saying, hey, this guy's going in motion. Watch out for this. Watch out for this. Or, hey, you know, this linebacker is looking like he's blitzing now. So you'll kind of – the later you get in the play clock, that's when the motion actually starts happening and the, the guys are bluffing blitzes or bringing blitzes. But, like – I wonder if that changes over time. This article said that uh, there was no cutoff in the helmet communication. So, like, NFL, well, like you said, it cuts off at 15, but this said it could, okay, they so could 15, do it all the way. Right. Okay. So, like, that, that's interesting in the sense of that might entice offenses to go a little bit slower. To have your quarterback coach or your offensive coordinator, I guess probably your offensive coordinator in the box, walking you through everything and, like, look, this coverage is this. Watch out for this. I don't know if I like that. I liked it for play calls or for play calls. I don't know if I like it for adjustments. Yeah, this was saying, I mean, this article by The Athletic, It's they interviewed some other coaches, and they said, um, as a result, coaches could talk to the players their entire time. They didn't call out open receivers in the middle of plays, but they reminded quarterbacks just about checks and shifts. West Virginia's coach said we didn't use it to over-communicate. Um, checks you know, and but, shifts. So I was wondering where that was going at first. When you say it's going to checks and sh- But, yeah, so, like, yeah, you're, you can't do it while the play is going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, you can't be like, hey, X, throw it to X across the middle. It's not not Madden. He's open. Yeah, you can't do that. But, yeah, so, like, again, the NFL, 15 seconds, that's whenever the things kind of get moving and the the chess kind of starts happening. Now you're going to have both sides kind of in the ears calling out adjustments and stuff. We'll see how that wrinkle. I'd be kind of surprised if coaches used it that close to the play actually going off. I think just at some point you're distracting your player, like if you're – in his ear with five seconds before the play goes off. Like, I think it uh, – Yeah, I don't think – I, I, I couldn't imagine it being, like, a regular occurrence. It's yeah. just more like, you know. Well, there should never be another penalty for 12 men on the field for the defense <laughs> because somebody in the box should be screaming, timeout, 12 men. And there should never be another delay of game on offense because you should have the – since there's no cutoff, the, the coach should be screaming, three seconds. Yeah, time three out, seconds. Time out, time out. Yeah, I agree. Do we know, again, I'm making you my expert here on this, one player on the field at one time on on, on each side of the ball, of course. but It seems like one player. It's not like the center and the quarterback can both be mic'd up, right? It's just going to be the quarterback most likely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like just one player. Okay. I saw that said, you know, select players, but I didn't know. The article I saw didn't specify either. I'm fine with one player. I I don't want it to be more than one. That was mind-blowing when I saw it during the Michigan scandal a little bit. People said, said that high schools are already doing this. The high schools are already have, you know, helmet communication. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought that either. It, it is weird that college, I guess, has been so antiquated and, you know, far behind when it came to this. Because you would think they would need more communication than the NFL just because the quarterbacks are, are less good. Yeah. Texas Tech's coach said, uh, we practiced with it four times uh, going into the game week, and it was probably one of our cleanest operations when it comes to sidelines and communication. I imagine there's a lot of miscommunication. Like, I, I imagine at college, and you have, you know, the five people, and they're wearing different color hats, and they're making different signals, and you're holding up boards with different pictures on it. Like, I imagine it's it's easier just to streamline that and be like, hey, here's the play. And then the quarterback reads it or, or makes this call, you know, at the line of scrimmage or whatever. And I also hate whenever we see the team stop and look to the sideline everybody's staring at the coaches now maybe like you know maybe that still happens i don't know or maybe you look at the quarterback and the quarterback's the one actually making the audibles 
It does make Nico's job easier, though. Which I guess if you're Tennessee, that should be a net positive because, you know, you're looking at, a, at an inexperienced quarterback, quite right. frankly. He didn't play a lot of high school football and, of course, didn't play at all last year. Really. So, like, if you're worried about the inexperience and him making the calls and running the offense, this should placate that a little bit in terms of giving you some confidence that, okay, he's going to have his offensive coordinator in his ear. The plays are going to get in on time. I don't want this to sound like a, an ageism thing or anything like that, but the question I have is as this starts to evolve, I'm thinking about who who the coach is that's kind of talking to the quarterback. And I just wonder, you know, is this another thing you have to have a, a coach that's going to be – There's for some reason I'm not inclined to think that it's just so easy as, hey, throw on a headset and you're going to talk to this guy. you got to be like – a little more tech savvy. I'm, th I'm thinking like, okay, Jim Chaney. How do you think Jim Chaney would do with this? You know, I, I just uh, – talented, OC, all those things. But it's like, does this kind of turn this into – again, it's like kind of a more contemporary, younger person's game. Uh, probably buying tomorrow's trouble, but I think those are things that, you know, this day and age you have to start thinking about because there's a lot of people who don't adapt to all this stuff. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how how many locked-in-their-way college coaches are still left, you yeah. know, in terms of big-time college football. When you look at the SEC, who's the elder statesman right now? Who's the – I mean, Saban's gone, of course. So, like, who who is now the old guy? Because it seems Stoops. like – Stoops. Stoops? I, I think. Mean, yeah. I, he's not even that old, is he? I mean, how, I, I guess I think of him as his late 50s. I don't yeah. – maybe he's in his 60s. I don't know. But, like, I, I don't think of him as old either way. But, I mean, Napier's young, and not long for this world, by the way. He's not going to be there long enough to worry about it. Kiffin, Drinkwitz. I guess Venable's up there in age a little bit, but I don't see him running the offense there. And I don't see Stoops really running the offense no. either. Like, I mean, I don't see him having a hand in that, really. That's what I'm saying. If they have, you know, some old-school coordinator. Who's... I guess Brian Kelly's, like, the oldest guy in the SEC, maybe. Yeah, that's and true. I, and, and maybe he would be stubborn. Yeah, he would be. <laughs> Maybe. But I just feel like, you know, the head coaches, sure, they're all a little bit older. Or, you know, they'll be older than their coordinators, of course. But I feel like it's almost impossible to hire old coordinators now. I feel like every coordinator in college football is probably going to be a young offensive genius that's, like, in his mid-30s. You say that Brian Kelly's old, but have you seen him dance? I haven't, no. Is there videos of him out oh, there dancing? Oh, remember that? He, I mean, he, he had a couple of moves with the like, oh, LSU recruits, yeah, like yeah, a yeah, spin yeah. around. He, oh, yeah, he yeah. wasn't really cutting a rug or anything. No, he, he was, was doing a little bit. The, it was, it was the little 360 camera that yeah. he was on with the yeah, – yeah, yeah, it was rough, man. Yeah, it was, was uh, but I don't view him the same way you do, Sam, because you said you have him as stubborn. I have him as a jerk. Yeah, and like, I do Don't too. forget he killed that kid in Notre Dame by making him go up into the scissor lift. But, like – I always kind of think of him as, I don't want to say innovative in offense, but like at least collaborative when it comes to offense. Sure, yeah. Maybe I'm wrong in that, but I feel like he ran a pretty modern offense at Notre Dame. It's not like he's doing old stuff. For an older coach, yeah, he modernizes his game. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess so, yeah. And like, you know, he had Jaden Daniels that are running around doing crazy stuff. So like, He's just felt... the oldest coach, I guess, in the SEC mm -hmm. now. Probably. Yeah, I, I, him being the elder statesman or the, not the most tenured, of course, but, but yeah, he's the most a... tenured. Stoops. Stoops. Stoops uh, that was what I was thinking. Number two? I don't even know who number two would be, though. I don't know. Drinkwitz at this point? I don't. Maybe. Surely. But, I mean, there's been a lot of turnover. I mean, I, 
God, when I did Beamer Pittman? start? Beamer started Pittman in... in Arkansas. Would that be the second longest? No, Kiffin, right? I mean, no. well, I, guess, I mean Kirby. Kirby, yeah. Kirby's probably the answer. Kirby's been there since what? 2017, 16. But, but Pittman, Pittman's got to be up there as far as oldest. Yeah. Oh yeah, oldest, sure, but yeah. not not most tenured. Correct. Yeah. We'll see how that plays out because for so long you called that the Saban effect, right? Like Saban was getting all his coaches fired because his rivals couldn't beat him. And if you're in the West trying to compete with him, you couldn't keep up, so you're getting fired. And it just created so much discontent inside programs when it came to how they felt about their coaches. Now he's gone. Maybe Kirby is that new measuring stick. I don't know. Maybe there's a little bit more parity in the league. And, you know, now if you take Alabama from – 11 and 1 pretty much penciled in every year to 9 and 3 there's two extra wins for people. Which speaking of which we haven't talked about it yet. Maybe next we can dive into the over/unders. FanDuel released the over/unders for all the SEC teams. Hmm. They're projected oh, for wins. Yeah. yeah. We're so low. Huh? We're, we're low. I'm hammering that over. I, I I didn't love where they had us. Calm but... down, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's already ready to roll here. We'll dive into that after the break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. A brand Segment's brought to you by SM Athletics. If you're gearing up for some sports, whether it be AAU basketball, baseball, softball, track and field, SM Athletics can cover all of your uniform, equipment, screen print, or embroidery needs for your upcoming season. Give SM Athletics a call. Excellent customer service. Great products at a fair price. And when they say it's done, it's done. Right and on time, every time, locally owned and operated. You won't be just an order number to them. Give them a call, 865-966-3434. That's 865-966-3434, smathletics.com. Bobby said we had a little SEC coaching news before we get to the over-unders. Yeah, Sean Elliott, who uh, has been head coach at Georgia State, Beat us. Yeah, I was going to say, Vol fans may remember, may not want to remember that he was uh, at the helm when Georgia State took down Tennessee in the Jeremy Pruitt era. Let's just leave that behind. But he's actually been pretty successful at Georgia no, State. No, Bob, don't leave it behind. Remember the pain. Well, don't yeah, that's, go back to it. No, and I'm actually – from it and remember, yeah. remember it. And I think when I think of that game, the only there's only one play that stands out to me, and it was Jarrett Garantano sliding down short of the first down on third and ten. Or third and whatever it was, but he slid down short of the first down. I tend to agree with that. I, I that's what I always say when we talk about uh, when the fan base thinks it's not going well for this football program. Now, just think back; it could be could be worse. As first game as a student, first loss as a student, first game as a student. Oh, nice. I guess first loss too, but yeah, yeah. I wasn't a student because I, I, I didn't start at UT, but I think. No, that's not true. It would have been the Fulmer era. I was going to say, I remember the Kiffin, like UCLA loss as like my first game in the stands. But I think, oh, wait, I guess I was there for Fulmer's last year. And that wasn't good either. My first memory of that or as a college student would have been Alabama fans taking over the stadium. <sighs> we had like really good seats for that Alabama game. And they you know, took the stadium over as, as they were rising to a mega power. 
Not a lot of good memories for me when it came to sports yeah. during my time in college. But, yeah, Sean Elliott headed at Georgia State, and he's headed where? South Carolina to become tight end coach under the uh, guy I call the precious, Shane Beamer. <laughs> um, That's kind of weird. He's going back to South Carolina because South Carolina is, is where he's from. He was born in Camden. But, like, I mean, I remember him coaching at South Carolina during – guess this would have been with Spurrier still been there yeah he would have been yeah Spurrier would have been there yeah he was the interim coach after Spurrier retired yeah because Spurrier quit halfway through the year in 2015 then Sean Elliott coached the rest of that season and then I think went back to being their offensive line coach in 2016 when Muschamp came in or yeah that would have been Muschamp's no Muschamp when did Spurrier quit because Spurrier lost to Butch Jones when would Muschamp have been at South Carolina? Because he beat – he was at Florida in 2014. Okay, yeah, so Muschamp came in in 2017, yeah. Yeah. So Muschamp got to South Carolina in 2017. Elliott took the job at Georgia State in 2017. I don't know how he's done there. I mean, he went 7-6 and six last year. But, like, I mean, I think if you're Georgia State and you're down, you know, in Atlanta, you probably think you could be doing better than 7-6. and six. You probably should think you should be recruiting at the highest level in your conference, obviously, and – Seven and six, three and five in your conference, probably not good enough. So this might be a clock reset and just get back into major football. Kind of like how Chip Kelly left UCLA to get back, reset his clock and then get back into major football at a major school. And I'm not calling South Carolina major school, but compared to Georgia State, it is. Yeah, and I think, well, we've seen a little of this happening too with um, coaches at these, I guess you would almost call them the equivalent of mid-majors in college football that are going back for assistance jobs with at bigger programs, bigger conferences. There's been there's been a handful of them happening, and, and coaches flocking to the SEC. So yeah, they're feeder schools. You can yeah. call them Group Five, you can call them whatever you want, but they're feeder schools. They are the have-nots. Big bank take little bank. Big schools take little co- little schools coaches. Kind of the way that works. And that doesn't always work out because, you know, the one guy left his school and went to go, go coach with Dion and be his offensive coordinator. And he went from, like, promising head coach to fired and demoted halfway through the season. But if you're Sean Elliott, just, yeah, I guess, I guess go. At- attaching yourself to Beamer at this point doesn't seem to be the smartest career no. move, though. Unless he's got designs on Beamer's job. How I want my second stint as interim head coach at South Carolina. This time I'll win them over. <laughs> FanDuel released their SEC over-under win totals for every school. Talking about Alabama kind of made me think of that because, yeah, like most years their over-under would have been 11 and a half. It was basically do they lose a, home, do they lose a game in the regular season? Some years it would be 11 where like if they lost one, you tied, but undefeated won it for you. They're down to nine and a half this year, which I guess realistically makes ten and two the goal. Nine and three or ten and two is kind of the cutoff point there. That feels a little bit high as far as I'm concerned. I, I would lean under there. We talked about Arkansas and Sam Pittman, five and a half. Not long for that world. Talked about Billy Napier, five and a half. I don't really know how you bet on six. It feels like you got to take the under there for Florida when you look at their schedule. They're playing nine top 25 teams. And then UCF on top of that. Auburn, seven and a half. Georgia, ten and a half. 
Mark Stoops, Kentucky, six and a half wins. LSU, nine and a half. Mississippi State, the second lowest in the conference at four and a half. Lowest is Vanderbilt at two and a half. Missouri getting a lot of love. They're over under the same as Alabama's, nine and a half. Oklahoma, their first year in the SEC, seven and a half. Texas getting the Georgia treatment, ten and a half. Ole Miss, 9.5. South Carolina, 5.5. Texas A&M, 8.5. Tennessee, 8.5. So they're saying the kind of the the cutoff, the swing, the swing scenario for them is either 8-4 and four or 9-3. and three. That's kind of what they're looking like in Knoxville. Any of those stand out to you, Bob? Boy, a lot of love for Missouri, and I know they had a good season, and their schedule is not that tough next season. But they got to show me again, huh, as we've said before. We did, you know, a little play on words there, but uh, that wouldn't surprise me. I, Georgia, Texas doesn't surprise me. Obviously, Alabama doesn't. I although I think I could see Alabama. I don't know, eight and a half wouldn't have surprised me for Alabama, but they are Alabama still. They're, they're going to get some of that rub off. Sam, anything send out to you when you look at the win totals for 2024? Um, Sam's mad. Yeah. I'm, yeah if you can calm down <laughs> about Tennessee being disrespected. I'm going to I'm gonna be uh, – I'll place a responsible wager on Tennessee over eight and a half for sure. I, for one, welcome the opportunity to make some money. Same. Yes. I'm um, glad it's eight and a half and not nine or nine yeah, and a half. I'm yeah, I glad guess so. that nine and three can get us to the window. I guess so, yeah. Now, I do think that, that the if I'm guessing the way that trends throughout the offseason, I would imagine Tennessee's over, get some juice on it. Get but, it early. Yeah, by the time the season comes around, I would be surprised if that wasn't up to, like, minus 160. Yeah, or just minus bad value on it. So, yeah. I agree. Um, one to me that stood out, I think, might have been LSU at 9.5. I just think they're losing a lot of production, maybe, in terms of – well, they're losing a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. Uh, yeah, obviously. Yeah, you're losing Jaden Daniels. I think, you know, obviously you're losing, like, Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas. So, I, I think so, yeah. they've got some production to, to replace in terms of 9.5 being a pretty hefty over-under. Maybe, what, two top seven picks in the draft? Yeah. You know, I feel like that's a, a definite lock that they're losing two top ten picks. But, yeah, the, the best quarterback in college football, according to the awards, and – the Second number best receiver from the last number year. two receiver. Yeah. I mean, maybe the number one best statistically, but like, I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is better. But like, Neighbors is right there. So yeah, them being nine and a half seems a little high. Mm-hmm. Honestly, does Georgia seem right at ten and a half? Because Georgia's schedule is is it not pretty tricky in this first year in the, with with Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC? I thought Georgia kind of got a it's harder than normal. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe it's not actually that tough, but it's just like hey, compared to their cakewalk they've had, it's pretty pretty tough. I mean, they play Clemson, they play at Alabama, they play at Texas and at Ole Miss. Their win totals ten and a half. That means they have to only lose one game to win that. Does that does ten and two not seem likely? Yeah. So that stands out to me as a potential under. I get George's name value, but, like, they're losing their best player in Brock Bowers. Now I don't know if they're going to have the mass exodus on defense like they have the last couple of years. I don't know if that was kind of a rebuild year in terms of, of 
playing younger guys, you know, playing sophomores versus playing the juniors and seniors that go to the NFL. But, yeah, like I said, when you play Clemson at Alabama, at Texas, at Ole Miss, and, and, and home for Tennessee. Clemson's I mean, at home for them? Um, I don't know if that's a neutral, neutral site. site. Yeah. I, th- I think it's a okay. neutral site. I don't I'll know where it's at, but I, probably like Atlanta or Charlotte or somewhere. Maybe see if you can figure out where it's at. But, like, neutral site. And, and Tennessee, you'll give them, Tennessee, at least a 25% chance of winning at Georgia. To me, that just seems high. Yeah, it's in Atlanta. So, yeah, I mean, that's not far, but, I mean, there'll be a lot of Georgia fans. But I'd imagine Clemson, it's, a, it's an easy trip for them. Yeah. Maybe they fun. don't have the same desire to go there. Maybe, they, maybe they're not going to feel good about their chances of beating Georgia, so maybe they don't show up. Seeing how, you know, Clemson hasn't been very good the last two years. Bob, your thoughts on Tennessee, eight and a half as their projected total. I'm with you guys. Uh, I'm sitting here thinking I still have such um, such disappointment in the Missouri total. I've been looking at their schedule, but Tennessee, I, I think that's a that's a fair bet for them to win nine games. I'd take I'd take the over on that. I, I, I really believe it, and I would. That's thinking of Missouri. I'm just looking at their schedule. It is relatively easy, but they've got games, you know, versus Auburn at Alabama versus Oklahoma. At South Carolina, I I think taking the under on Missouri is interesting too. I mean, I don't think they're terrible, but could they be nine and three? Yes, for sure. Right. Yeah, nine and three is a good season for Missouri. Right. Like if you're a Missouri fan, you're probably mad that your over under is nine and a half. At Texas A&M for them too. I mean, they they've got some games that are not just gimmies for sure. And they're also Missouri. Yes. They They're stand. also Missouri. I don't think they're ready to just roll out and start rolling off back-to-back double-digit win seasons. They do stand on business. but uh, It is important to remember. I used that line with my daughter the other night on something, <laughs> and she just started laughing. And I go, what, what are you laughing about? And she goes, it's just not the right context. <laughs> <laughs> it's just interesting hearing that from a teenager. She's probably right. Do you remember how you used it? No, I yeah. I forget. I think I got her on something. You know, we were kind of going back and forth, and I go, "Hey, Eva," I go, "We stand on business here." And she goes, <laughs> she just kind of laughed like she had clearly heard it. You know, yeah. it's not a football fan, but she had heard it. So, um, anyway, I digress. I like that, Bob. Bob stands on business. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> gotta let him know. Yeah, let him know. We take care of our responsibilities over here. Stand on business, Bob. I told her, yeah, and I told her about how it was used by the Missouri coach, and what was interesting. She goes, "Yeah, it makes sense." Yeah, she was like, she was good with it. Yeah, because I mean, Missouri. I mean, like, it's kind of used interchangeably, like put your money where your mouth is, slash, like we take care of our responsibilities, yeah. slash, we had to get you payback, essentially, kind of thing. Like, it, so yeah. yeah, I mean, like, Alaya, Alaya Drinkowitz sounded weird <laughs> the way he said it. It's coming from him, but and then, I, and then I do how, think context-wise, somebody told him like what to say, and then he kind of ran off. Yeah, right afterwards, we stand on business. Okay, bye. Yeah, it was like going through the handshake line. Good game, good game. You suck, you suck, and then like immediately like walking off the field. <laughs> oh god! I was thinking about the handshake line in youth sports this weekend. I was watching a movie where they were doing it, and I was thinking back, and my teammates that would be like, "You suck, you suck, you suck." <laughs> And I was like, I wonder what those guys are doing these days. Like, I feel like telling a kid they suck when you're like 12. Those kids are all probably degenerates in their life. Well, oh, back, back, back to the original question. Yes, I, I, I'm all in for – I'm not mad about it. I like the idea of taking the over on Tennessee. Eight and a half feels a little light to me. So I agree with you, Sam. I may not be as angry as you are. You got nine with your the good guy award winner. 
I think we can get, get nine to the Heisman potential Well, winner. just for the record, it only counts regular season. So okay, we got yeah, eight. True. We yeah. got eight with yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. our good guy award winner. We would have come in on the under here. Yes, the, the, the win totals do not take into account the postseason. The good guy That's award we'll would have would have they might have given the point five, so it might have been a push. <laughs> That's true. Like you know what? You only won eight, but you, you were a such guy. a good guy. <laughs> and keep in mind you didn't leave and quit when you could have, even though you would have had to like drop down to like the FCS to go play or or D two because your eligibility and your transferring was already used up and all that. But good guy for keeping the job and, and being a good teammate. But eight and five for Tennessee, I mean that that says even if you pencil in three losses to Oklahoma, Georgia, and Alabama, which I don't think you should. Now Georgia, sure. I'm I'm fine with calling that a loss. Yeah. I'm I'm fine with calling that a loss. Now can Tennessee's go win at Georgia? Sure. I'll give it a twenty five percent chance. But like to me, Alabama's a coin flip slash for me a slight lean favoring Tennessee at home. Oklahoma's a coin flip, maybe a slight lean to Oklahoma, if you want to say they're at home. And it's going to be like Nico's first big road start. But, yeah, like, I mean, even if you lose all three of those, as long as you take care of business against Florida and Kentucky, you're all right. So I, I, think think you, a, my bad. I think he's just got favorable home matchups, too. Oh, yeah, no, like, the schedule, the schedule Tennessee is, you know, can't complain about that. The schedule yeah. is set up for – Success. Uh, I thought it was last year, which what is what made eight and four so disappointing. And this year, yeah, I mean, like you're we, we talked about it. Like you play North Carolina State neutral, that's fine, but like your road games are Oklahoma, Arkansas, Georgia, and Vanderbilt. So like one of your road games is in the state of Tennessee. The other's against the coach who is definitely on the hot seat that might be fired by October in Sam Pittman. Their win total is five and a half. Georgia, okay, yeah, that's that's most likely a loss. And Oklahoma, that's a tough road trip. But keep in mind, I told you that their win total, I don't know if you remember what I said, seven and a half. It's not Texas at ten and a half. It's seven and a half. They're, they're going to be quite a bit worse, or at least projected to be quite a bit worse than Texas. So you got to break there. If that was a trip to Austin instead of Norman, yeah, maybe you look at this season differently, right? I mean, if you're going to Texas, who was a top ten team, a top five team preseason, win total of five of ten and a half, that's different. But Oklahoma's seven and a half. Oklahoma's going to be in the same boat of of starting a new quarterback, and he didn't look as good as yours did in the bowl game. So yeah, I mean, I think like you said, Sam, the schedule sets up good. Your home games, of course, Chattanooga, Kent State, Florida. Kentucky, Mississippi State, and UTEP. You should take care of business and all those. And then you got one big coin flip game against Alabama. That could be the difference between 10 wins. and you know, That's the difference between 9 wins versus 10 wins versus 11 wins. It should be the difference between 8 wins and 9 wins, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. Does that make sense? Like It should be the difference between you getting to double digits or 11 and 1 versus, well, if I'm going to cash this 8.5, got to beat Alabama. No, no, that, that should already be taken care of with the rest of your schedule, as far as I'm concerned. Any final thoughts on the SEC football win totals or any of these teams that we've talked about? Just fires me up, man. I want football season to be here now. Yeah, no, I'm pretty pumped thinking about football. I'm pretty pumped for baseball season starting this weekend. Basketball, this stretch run, like that's the benefit of having the best athletic department in the SEC and maybe the best athletic department in the entire country. There's no real off season anymore. Like you, you can look forward to every sport. 
other than tonight's matchup against South Carolina in women's basketball. That might be a baptism. That might be. Or a execution. Or, I guess, putting someone to the stake and firing them. Yeah. Is that what the term fire him means? Like, to fire someone? Is that where that comes from? Burning people at the stake? Yeah, I don't know. It's a great... I don't know. I don't know about the origin. Yeah, like, because, I mean, you know, to fire someone, of course, is to remove them, to exile them. Yeah, and then, uh, well, the the technical term is terminate, but that also could sound like you're killing them. Yeah, Yeah, it's even worse. (laughs) Um, He's been terminated. Huh? Yeah. Terminated. uh, What do you mean? He won't be back. Yeah. You get it? Because the Terminator movie. Yes. 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 (laughs) Uh, Classic. Yes. Good job by me. We'll wrap up the show and get you to the G.I. Jake show coming up after the break. Stick with us. Ever been the... Apparently, some people think that getting fired originates from someone's desk being flung out of the door and then having that desk catch on fire. Mm. Burning down homes of your opponents in clan warfare. So to fire someone then was to kind of just like burn their house down, like to literally fire them. I don't know if that works either. Some say it's like the related to the image of a gun being fired to terminate you. So like to get fired would be basically shot. There's a little spark that comes out of it. So I don't know. I don't know where it comes from, and the internet doesn't seem to know either. Uh, yeah, I, I don't either. I got nothing. And uh, All the things you know when it comes to words. Yeah. You can't come through with me here, huh? The origin of being fired. Yeah. And I don't even know how we can track this down. I don't because again, just uh, usually if I Google where does this term originate, you get an answer. I know some HR experts around the country. <laughs> we, the morning show is going to do a segment with one of the top human resource executives and about the meaning of fire. The only thing we want to know is where it originated from. All right, thank you for your time. See you. <laughs> yeah, Cut yeah, the call. Exactly. One question. All right, see you, bye. How you been? One question. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sounds good. Which that update reminded me, Sam. You didn't. You didn't mention that we had an NBA player actually get arrested last night. Yeah. <laughs> you don't really have that happen too often. This guy needs anger management. Forget Draymond. Draymond's soft compared to Isaiah Stewart because he he punched Drew Eubanks in the face in the tunnel before the game. It was reported during the game, and then apparently he gets arrested after the game. This is the same guy that tried to kill LeBron that one time. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. LeBron doesn't get in too many dust ups on the court. But this guy was, like, bleeding from the mouth and, like, charging after LeBron, and they were trying to hold him back, and then he went after him again. So, I mean, I think this is, like, he's a repeat offender as far as I'm concerned. He, he might need some counseling. His nickname's Beef Stew. Seriously. That's what they uh, – He's a thick boy. I mean, he's, he is. He's, big, yeah. he's low on the list of people you'd want to fight in the NBA. Like, I agree. I, mean, I know everyone talks about basketball players being soft and, like, you know, they don't actually want to fight and blah, blah, blah. But there's usually always at least, like, five or six guys in the league who have, like, credentials – like Ron Artest was like a Golden Glove boxer for a while, or like growing up. So like, yeah, yeah, or his, maybe his dad was a Golden Glove boxer. But either way, he trained boxing growing up. He wanted to fight Ben Wallace. You know, you're a little afraid of him. Then you got like Tony Allen and Zebo. James Johnson was always a name thrown out around. You know, his time because he knew like karate. It was kind of crazy. 
So Beef Stew being added to that list, I think, is fair. There's always at least a handful of guys you don't want to mess with, and I think he's one of them. I remember seeing him for the first time in, when he was in college at Washington. I was like, holy cow. I mean, particularly in the college game, he looked like a beast. Um, made, like, Tobey look kind of slight. He's a uh, big boy. A little crazy, not be right too. on this, but I want to say Tennessee was kind of in one of his top schools. Really? Yeah, I kind of want to say that. Let me see his recruiting profile. Beef Stew is an elite nickname, though. That's a sick nickname. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. You don't want to heat him up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to eat that stew cold. No, I like it. I like it. It's a good O-line nickname. Yeah. I <laughs> Give me, like, my center nickname, Beef Stew. Last night we also had some some at the SEC race. I don't want to say become a little bit more clear because I think we already kind of knew that that Auburn was expected to beat South Carolina. Just for the record, guys, we were joking about the the South Carolina plus thirteen and a half or plus eleven and a half, whatever it was. That was just so we could set up the Arkansas jokes. We didn't actually think South Carolina had a chance of going to Auburn and winning, but they got embarrassed. Auburn uh, absolutely beat them down. Last night in the jungle, which, by the way, when the hell do they start calling Auburn's arena the jungle? Has that been a long time thing? Yeah, that's been. That's been okay. This year is the first time I feel like I remember it actually, like them talking about it constantly. I actually think if you go back and listen to the tape, I think one of us may have even said Auburn might win by 40. Maybe not. Yeah, go back and listen to it. And if you don't hear that, then yeah. something might have happened. Somebody might have edited it out and yeah. cut it out. I don't know. But Auburn. Auburn gets a big boost when it comes to, like, the metrics. They are now a top-10 offense and a top-10 defense. I still don't buy them as legitimate title contenders. I still contenders. don't see it. I still don't buy it. I still think when Tennessee gets them in Knoxville, I expect Tennessee to win that game. Maybe not, like, in a blowout fashion, but, like, I expect Tennessee to win. They have a very unlikable kid. You guys know who it is. Not Katie Steven? Johnson. Uh, yeah, that's good. Chad Baker Mazzara. No, he does a lot of talking, man. He does a lot, a lot of talking. Of talking. Um, he's a pretty good player. He comes off the bench, but man, he is—he's—he's he's fixed. The cameras are on him every game with him doing something. And I can't—I tuned in late at one point in that game last night where they were saying they had to separate players. It was Michi Johnson, and, and I think it might have been Chad Baker Mazar because they kept showing him. So. Got to get on that kid when they come to Knoxville. A 40-point beatdown, 101-61. to 61. Auburn made a statement, scored 100 points against that South Carolina defense that, you know, was, yeah. was good at dragging you in the mud. So that, that was a big-time performance from them. Like I told you, Auburn now top 10 offense and defense. Tennessee on the strength of another good offensive performance, all the way up to number 13 when you look at the offensive metrics and offensive efficiency. Tennessee number 13. Holding steady with the number six defense. But 13 puts you inside the the mark of where you need to be if you're going to win a national championship. You need your offense to really typically be a top 15 offense is kind of the, the magic number. It has to be like a top 25, top 30 offense to even have a chance. But 15 puts you there where it's good enough. Or 13, excuse me. And, and yeah, like Tennessee is rising. You know, I think by the end of the year they could be in the top 10, especially when you look at their next couple of opponents, right? It's not like you're going up against anybody great. You should be able to True. kind of pad your stats a little bit. And then you still get Kentucky and Alabama as well. Neither team plays great defense there. So, like, I think there's a pretty good chance right now that Tennessee finishes as a top-ten offense. I think you're right. 
these next three games, that's where they could gain that ground and then see what happens in the final four. But what Vandy, Mizzou, and then A and M back here. So, yep, those are three games that Tennessee pretty much has to win. They're holding steady right now as a two seed. They got jumped by Marquette. So, North Carolina lost and slid, but Marquette took the number five spot instead of giving it to Tennessee, although that still has time to work itself out. Anything else we missed from today or that we need to preview for tonight? Tigers playing. Two hours. Tiger playing at the Genesis, right? Mm Mm-hmm. That's going to be a good tournament, elevated event, a lot of money. Yep. Um, Copycats. So... (laughs) Um, we want to be live so bad. And then tonight, Caitlin Clark goes for the women's scoring record. And if you want to watch that, you got to watch it on Peacock. Jesus, man, this is, this is our new world. So Peacock gets a playoff game, and now they get a record-setting performance. i got to be honest, I cared about Caitlin Clark on Sunday at the end of the Nebraska game when she was trying to do it in a win. And, you know, like to have a 39-point game to break it, I thought that would have been really cool. Don't really care about it tonight just because it's a foregone conclusion. I mean, she's not going to be held to less than 10 points. She's not going to get held short of it. She'll probably get in the first quarter, and you'll see the highlight on X. I'm not going to be loading up Peacock to to seek it out. Probably not. Although also on Peacock, the new episode of Traders is out. That's what I'm looking forward to tonight, 9 o'clock. I got to say, great reality TV, Bob. I, I, I was not there. I was not hip to Traders in season one. Season two came out. It had my boy CT and my boy Bananas in it. I, I loved the challenge. I watched it. I got hooked, and then I went back and watched season one over the weekend, too. I'm now caught up. It's, uh, it's pretty elite. I don't know if you ever played the game like Secret Hitler or whatever. Like that, That's like no, a board game. I don't, do, I don't know if that'll I, get me canceled. I, don't, I was going to say, I don't do much with anything tied to Hitler. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I've, I haven't played it either, but like it's a game. It's basically like a whodunit clue game. Like you, you got some traitors in your midst, and you're trying to figure out who the traitors are, and you're voting them out. Yeah. I think that's kind of the concept okay. of, 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 of Secret Hitler. I don't, again, I don't know if that's getting us canceled, so <laughs> cut that out of the podcast. Let's add something lighter to finish the show. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not light because it's light, I guess. Well, this is, about, this is about the death of a legend. Uh, the inventor <laughs> of... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's go to some more uplifting news. This guy died. Well, or woman. It's uh, it's a guy, and he's the inventor of the Pop-Tart. Oh, I saw that, yeah. William Post yeah. died at the age of 96, day before yesterday. We didn't get to mention it yesterday. Rest in peace. I'm a, I love a Pop-Tart, a Pop-Tart man. Today, Still yeah. do. So when you think of him in the afterlife, it's like his life, he was pressed down into the toaster. Ooh. And when he expired, it pops up. Yep. I haven't eaten a Pop-Tart in 25 years, 30 years. I don't like Pop-Tarts. Uh, brown sugar cinnamon, baby. The, the, the OG. It's the I, best. I, I tried one whenever I was like seven or eight. I was like, nope, this ain't for me, and I've never gone back to the Pop-Tart. The last thing I'll say is if you eat those not heated up, they're pretty gross. Got to heat them up. Maybe that was my mistake, but I've made it this long. Kind of like coffee. I made it this long. I'm not going to start now. <laughs> All right, the G.I. Jake Show, Jake Miller, Brett Hollander, Marcus Young, intern Jack coming up. Stay locked in on Fan Run Radio. Have a great rest of your Thursday.